through the mall and, and this fellow that he knows and, and one time was part of church per se walked up to him and told him when are you going to stop preaching that lie? And, and he was referring to Jesus and he proceeded to tell my brother he said now you know that only thing you're doing is preaching a western theology and that Jesus really is not God and that the only thing we should be adhering to is the Old Testament and you know his real name is Yahweh and he went on and on and my brother says wasn't no use arguing with him (laughs) but sometimes scripture does say don't argue with a fool you know But to you young people, let me say this. There's a lot of things out here in this world that's going to draw you away from Jesus. And if you're not really desiring Jesus and committed to Jesus, it's not going to take much for you to just fall on away. Either... You are saved and you are desiring the milk of the word and moving from the milk of the word to the meat of the word and to understanding that the joy of the Lord really is your strength and the only one who will cause you to prosper and to prosper rightly. And I want to emphasize that word rightly because Satan can cause people to prosper. But that prosperity usually always wind up hurting. But when God causes you to prosper, it's for a purpose of being a blessing to others. And it brings a joy to you. Many of us that you see here today, we're fading away. But you got to come through the woods. You got to go through the bumpy roads. You got to go over the hills and down in the valleys. You're the one who's going to have a much rougher, rougher time than those that are of my age and older. Because Satan is more after you than he's ever been. Take note of that. And if your heart is not fixed on Jesus, if your heart is not fixed on Jesus, you're going to wallow in the mud of life. You're going to wallow. Now you say, well, Pastor, you're saying things. I'm saying to you is this. Watch your own life. Examine your own life. See if God is blessing or cursing. It will be one or the other. Amen. And I want to thank you from Elaine and myself for your words of kindness, your gift cards, your 
your gifts that you gave to us over Christmas and, and just the encouragement. I want to thank you. You are a blessing. And you're still exactly what I've often said. You have made this pastor. The congregation forms the pastor. While the pastor forms the congregation. And the congregation can either make a mean, bitter pastor. Or they can make a very loving shepherd as a pastor. And we both, because we're in the body of Christ, we both sharpen each other. And we help each other. And I want to thank you for all the help that you've extended to the Brown family. And I just want to thank you for the privilege that you give me to shepherd you, to counsel with you, to talk with you, to encourage you, and sometimes just cry with you. And this year, I'm looking forward to just running this race with you as we run together. Amen? Well, Father, we want to thank you and praise you for being the almighty, awesome God that you are. For you are the living God. You're the one who speaks into our lives. You're the one who molds us and shapes us. You truly are the potter and we are the clay and we are a people waiting upon you, O God. And Lord, when we hear your voice, O Lord, may we move. May we move. May we be obedient. May we be willing to say yes to you. And Father, I want to thank you that you have not left your people in darkness. The book of Revelation is in its right place at the very end. And Lord, it is at the end that we begin to see really how magnificent our God is. You are an awesome God. You are a wonderful counselor. You are a mighty, mighty God who works after his own good pleasure. And Father, we thank you that, Lord, you're working out your plan. You're doing that which you have already foretold that you would do. And, Lord, I pray that you would open our spiritual eyes and spiritual ears that we might hear and we might see and that we might have understanding that our God is at work. May you open your word to us this morning. May you cause our hearts to jump for joy. Because, Lord, as we hear your word, we can confess and say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. For we are a people who are looking up, knowing that our redemption draweth nigh. But yet, Lord, we occupy, we're busy doing your work, even during these days that sometimes troubles our hearts. But yet, Lord, we know the victory is in Jesus Christ. And Lord, you're going to accomplish every plan, every word of your word. May you, O oh God, even in these latter days, continue to reveal yourself. 
may people know that there really is a living God. You're not a myth. You're not just something some men wrote about trying to get people to believe in. But you are a living God who dwells among his people. Minister to us through your word and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're picking up with Revelation chapter 8. It's going to talk about the seven trumpets, but before the seven trumpets is like the prelude. The first five verses. And then we go into the seven trumpets. Most people will not even acknowledge God today. And we are continuing to travel down that road where we are seeing more and more of a younger generation who is godless. Though the scripture talks about that, we are still to fight against it, we are still to warn, we are still to proclaim that name of Jesus. What we need to recognize while doing that is what God's doing. God's giving an opportunity for repentance. That's all. God's given opportunity for repentance. God is not in a hurry to finish off the world. God's not in a hurry to kill mankind. God's not in a hurry to see you destroyed, per se. But I want to say to you, that day is coming. That hour is coming. And we need to be aware of it. And you may say, well, preachers have been preaching this for over a thousand years. And that's true. But it's still the truth. And it's coming. And for all that time, God has held back his anger, his wrath, and has poured out mercy. And in our day, we get mercy and blessing mixed up. Everybody, blessed. How you doing? I'm blessed. How you doing? I'm blessed. Living in all kinds of sin... But I'm blessed. And what they mean is this. God's been merciful to me because I did not receive the punishment I deserve. For the wages of sin is death. And God has put your death sentence off to give you an opportunity to do what? Repent. That's all. That's all. And... Mercy is shared among everybody. See, like God says, he allows it to rain on the just and the unjust. That's God's mercy. Yeah. Hey. The farmer goes out, whether he's a sinner or a believer, and plant. 
but follow the rules of God for planting and everything. And God sends the rain. Boy, yeah, God's being merciful to the one. He's letting his crops grow, but he's blessing this one over here because he's going to have a greater harvest. And God holds back his judgment. But there's coming a day there will be no more holding back of his judgment. There's going to come a day that repentance, boy, it's not going to be a waiting here. Either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it and you're gone. In Revelation 6.16, it says, The people desired to hide from God. Let's go to it. Revelation 6. And look at verse 16. Now we're starting off the new year. How many of you got your Bibles? Now understand, without this, I could be telling you the biggest lie in the world and you'll believe it. But with this, you're able to check me and see if I'm telling you the truth. You're able to follow me. Now, if you can show me somebody who went through college without a textbook and graduated, boy, I have to back off. But I don't know too many people that go through college or some type of schooling or some type of education, no process, and don't have what? The textbook. You know. When you come to church... This is the textbook. And if you don't have the textbook, you're going to leave just as ignorant as you came in. You're not going to gather any knowledge. And what we want you to do is gather knowledge. Why do I want you to gather knowledge? The scripture says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. But if you have knowledge, it will equip you to live in this world. I still got three books. Now, looking at one of them the other day, a little pocket book used to carry around as a skilled tradesman. In that book, it showed me how to cut a piece of duck and make a 45 or make a 30 degree. If I had a four feet foot duck, but I needed a 30, I needed a 30 inch angle, I could take that straight piece of pipe and make a 30 degree angle or a 45 degree angle and fit it into somebody's home or some commercial building. If you don't have the textbook, you're ignorant of God. And then you will hear people say this, I know God. No, you know of God, you don't know God. Because this is what gives you the knowledge of God. That you might know him. That you might know him. I want to encourage you, this year, starting off, bring that Bible, I don't care if it's in the phone, if it's in the phone, fine, at least you can still follow me. But when you bring nothing, you will leave with nothing. And learn this little secret about God. If you honor him, he'll honor you. You honor him, he'll honor you. But if you don't honor him, God has no reason to honor you, to open up any doors for you, to bless you, 
to be a helper to you, to minister to you, to console you, to allow his word to be a light unto your path. He just leaves you in your ignorance. But it's God's will that his people have knowledge. Knowledge. That we know him. And we can explain him to others. And we can show the way of life through scripture as God has ordained it to be. He says in 6.16, he says, They called on us and hide us. I'm sorry, they called to the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. Who's sitting on the throne? Jesus Christ. And and it said, people, rather than really see Jesus, what are they crying for? Mountains to do what? Fall on them, to hide them. Now catch their wording. To hide them, not kill them, but to hide them from the very face of who? Of God. They don't want to have anything to do with God. And sometimes people don't want to have anything to do with God. But understand this, God wants to have something to do with you. And God will have something to do with you. Even though you don't want to have anything to do with him. And their cry is, hide them from God. Now, the seven seals were destruction of man destroying man. When you really begin to look at those seals, you see man destroying man. And yes, Satan is the influence of that. And you can say in this text, yes, in 6, God is allowing this to happen. When you get to the trumpets, it's not so much God allowing it to happen as God is now doing it. God is doing it. And with the trumpets, it begins to worsen, to get worse. One author says, when you look at the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, he said you take each one of them and put the first one, and what you're seeing is an increase while the first thing is still happening. You're seeing an increase by the second thing, by the first trumpet, then you're seeing another increase by the first bow. And he says, boy, they run side by side. They're running from beginning, middle, end. And it's just getting worse all the way. Another says, okay, it's chronological. The seals are first, then the trumpets, then the bowls. Well, no matter which way you want to put it, we wind up the same place. God's wrath being poured out. But what you see there is man destroying man. Now, when Satan uses man to do his work, we describe it as someone who has gone crazy, mad, lost their mind, don't have their right senses, something that happened to them. You never hear man say they were deceived by Satan. 
You'll never step in a courtroom and hear a lawyer say, my clients were deceived by Satan. You'll never have a defense. They were used by Satan. They'll never bring up Satan. Care how bad it is. No matter how bad. You'll never hear the word Satan. Why? Because Satan has have a society that's stuck. If you use the word Satan, an unseen being, you have to conclude there is a what? A God. So we never use the word Satan in any way. I don't care how bad, how hideous it might be. You'll never hear in terms Satan led them into this. Satan deceived them. The only one who can really detect that also is the Christian. The works of Satan. The works of Satan. And we come up with all these excuses, but people always look for a way to explain things. Was it the first Sami? Tsunami that took place in the Philippines or where the tidal wave took place, I forget exactly where. But you never heard the newspaper or any of the reporters saying they were worshiping all these idol gods, all these false gods. And it was a festival of all these false gods. And God sent a tidal wave that it wouldn't take place and just wiped everything out. Remember, one of the things about water in the Old Testament is also used as a cleansing agent. (laughs) And God just washed it all away. (laughs) Washed away all that filth that was going to take place. But you never will hear a reporter say, oh, God did this or God did that. Because man always has to reason it and come up with a conclusion that will keep people from panicking. Our reasoning keeps us from being afraid. It keeps us from being afraid. It gives us a false security that somehow we're in control of this thing and we can overcome it. This false security. So we never admit Satan's involved. With the trumpets, there can be no explaining away as we get into the trumpets. We won't get into them this week, but we're going to start. And even what we start in the first five verses of eight, I think are going to be very intriguing. But with the trumpets, God says, I'm going to act and I'm going to see how you explain it away. In a sense. Because what he does really cannot be explained away. You can explain away a Hitler, he done went mad. Yeah, he killed all them folks. But look what we did to him. We can explain away the Japanese believing in their emperor was some kind of god. And they would just fly their planes right into the ships or destroy their own life. Man is always looking for a way to explain away 
certain events and with the seals because they're basically acted on by man killing man and men killing men and what man is doing the first four we explain it away and it removes the fear from the people in a sense we come to that place the first six seals are explained away by reason man's doing the reason of man is to give an explanation of why something happened even with the tsunami we reasoned it away that nature did this though we have never seen that before we reasoned it away in order to remove the fear and to have some control people are not afraid because reason of natural causes removes fear if I can really give you a good sound scientific reason or even good reasoning why this happened it helps remove your fear God is in a way saying, you want to be able to explain it? You want to be in control of it? Explain and control the next seven trumpets. When you start into chapter 8, the angels of heaven see the real terror that is to come. Sad part about it is this. Man doesn't know it's coming. And man doesn't see it. And somehow we're used to after every episode of some terrible act, guess what we do? We go, ooh, and right on back to work. We pick up life just like nothing ever took place. And we quickly forget what just took place, we quickly forget it. And somehow we get right on back in our daily routine and we're not even examining it to look to see is this something God's doing? Is this something really mystical about this? Something divine about this? Is this something different we don't even examine we quickly take what the news person reports and we're just back to work hey. but when he starts in that chapter 8 the angels are going to see something that the people on earth don't even expect that is coming and it says there's silence for a half hour. Now, when we were children, and my dad would be in the living room and we're in there with him, but somebody did something wrong, dad would usually say, come here. 
as long as Dad was sitting down, we're over there making fun. Yeah, see, he got caught. <laughs> you know, and we're just watching to see what's going to happen. Now, as long as Dad sat down, we all stayed in that room. But when Dad stood up, you didn't have to say, leave the room. We just got caught. We didn't want to see what was coming. But as long as he was sitting, things was all right. But when he stood up, we gone. Cleared the room. I think the angels see something like that. They see God's, and I know the scripture says God changes not. And we're going to go through scripture, and I think I can back what I'm going to say here. Is that they see a change in God. They see something that they've never seen before. Though they've seen God act even with the flood, this ain't the same. They've seen God act in delivering his people from Egypt, but this isn't the same. They've seen God act, but this is like my dad standing up (laughs) and not sitting down. They see something different, and it's silent. It grows quiet. And guess what? No choir is singing. Even at that moment, when we enter into Revelation, we hear about the angels who what? Bow down and rise up and give praise to God. That is solid. Everything at that moment in heaven is solid. And I think it's solid because of what they see now in the character of God that they've never seen before. The silence takes place. But go with me to Hebrews 10.26. See if we can get a picture a little bit of why silence might take place. Hebrews 10. Where am I? Twenty six and twenty seven, and then we're going to come down to thirty and thirty one. He says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a Fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Come on down into verse 30 and 31 with me now. For we know him who said, it is mine to to avenge. I will repay. Who says that in Romans 12? 
God does. Now go a little further. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Now catch 31. If you don't, if you don't have it underlined, underline it, star it, circle it, do something. It says, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of who? The living God. It's a dreadful thing. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. What we always see and what we always hear people talk about is this loving God. We never talk about this God who what? Who will give out his justice. Who will punish And the scripture says, it's a fearful thing to fall into his hands when he's angry. When he's angry. It's a fearful thing to fall into his hands. As I was preparing this sermon, I had to laugh at myself too because my my mind's going through scripture and I'm saying, okay, God, you said deal with your anger before the sun go down. Deal with your anger before the sun go down. Then I had to think about it for a moment. Lord, I want to be here another day. Don't deal with your anger. (laughs) But he holds it off. He holds it off. But it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. Now, understand what our society is doing to us. Our society is eroding the fear of God. It's almost like the boogeyman. Remember when you come out and you heard them little ghostly stories or, or about the boogeyman? And sometime, boy, when you thought you saw a silhouette, you kind of pulled the blanket up over your head like the blanket going to protect you if there's really a boogeyman? But if you didn't see it, you wasn't what? You wasn't fearful of it. And our society is trying to get us where we don't see God. And if we don't see him, we don't believe in him, we're not fearful of him. We're not fearful of him. And it's a wholesome thing. It's a good thing to fear the Lord. To reverence the Lord. To highly respect the Lord. And he says, boy, it's a fearful thing to fall into his hands. Now go over to Psalm 76, 7. Psalm 76, 7. Because we need to understand that God, he holds back. And yes, there are going to be things that are going to take place that we're going to wonder, boy, where did that come from? He says, you alone, start off in verse 6. He says, at your rebuke, O God, of Jacob, both horses and chariots lie still. You alone are to be feared. Now listen to this. Who can stand before you when you are what? When you're angry. Because God is angry, does that mean he's not the loving God that 
He is? No, He's still the loving God. But the scripture also describes Him as being a God who is able to be angry. And oftentimes, as people, we don't think God can ever be angry, that God doesn't show any emotions, God doesn't show any justice, God doesn't show any discipline, that God won't do anything in spanking us because he'll give us a time out before he spank us. People, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Of an angry God. And it says that God grows angry. Now go to Psalm 711. Psalm 7. In verse 11. Look what he says. God is a righteous judge. So his anger is going to be in a righteous manner. He's angry because we won't obey. He's angry because we won't carry out his will. He's angry because we think we're God and we're the ones in control. He's angry because you're going to lie still commit adultery, fornication, and everything else you want to do right in his face. And he's not going to do anything. No, God's going to judge us. And he has the right to do that. He's going to judge us. And it says, God is a righteous judge. So I can't say he's doing this wrongly. I can't say he's just doing this because he's lost his mind. I can't just say he's doing that because, boy, he went out and got drunk and he went and beat up on all of us. No, I, I can't say because it says he's a righteous judge. He does it out of righteousness. He says, a God who expresses his wrath, how often? Every day. But what's going to happen? We're going to see it heighten. It's going to grow. It's going to grow. And what the angels see is not only the terror, but a different sight of God, I believe. And it's silent in heaven. God is angry with the wicked every day. What holds back God dealing with the wicked in the sense of just removing them, killing them right now, taking their life right now, destroying them right now? Go to Lamentations with me, right after Jeremiah, Lamentations, in chapter 3. Look what it says about God in verse 22 and 23. Then I want to come back and hook it with 103, 8 and 9, that you might be able to see God is a little bit clearer 
and hope it gives you a little bit clearer eyesight also what the angels are seeing. So it says in verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not what? Consumed. Boy, because of his great love, he doesn't judge me when? Right now. The moment I lie, wouldn't it be great every time somebody lied, the Lord just put a zipper on their mouth? You couldn't unzip it? And just think, every time somebody sinned, God would respond to that sin right now in an unkind manner. Or he just takes life. We would have more people dying than people that are being born. We wouldn't have to worry about population explosion if God really dealt with sin right now. But he doesn't do it because of his compassion, because his desire is that none should perish. And his desire is that every one of us would come to repentance. And not only to repentance, but we come to a place where we'll walk with him day by day, moment by moment. And we will learn to live with him while we're here on earth, because we're going to live with him in heaven. And he moves on, and he says, boy, because of his compassion that never fails, God never stops loving me. Even when he's angry with me, he never stops loving me. Understand that. It's just like a parent. How many of you parents ever been angry with your children? But have you stopped loving them? The child may think you have, but but it hasn't. That love continues. But we're going to discipline. We're going to discipline. And he says, look how often they are. And you can thank God that it comes this way. They are new every morning. Every day God is merciful to us. Every day his mercies are new to us. Every day his compassion and love to us is fresh and new. God's not so much dwelling on what you did an hour ago. God's not so much dwelling on what you did yesterday. What God is concerned is right now, this moment, will you turn and recognize me? Will you really walk with me? Will you obey me? God is looking at the present, not so much the past. And he says, boy, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is faithful. Faithful to himself first. Faithful. Faithful to us. Now go to Psalms 103. Psalms 103. Come on down with me to verses 8 and 9. Again, look how God is described. Look how he is seen through Scripture. He says, boy, 
The Lord is compassionate. The Lord is compassionate. The Lord is loving. And the Lord is gracious. The Lord is kind. The Lord is tender towards us. And he goes on, he says, slow to anger. Didn't say he wouldn't be angry. And I like to put this even in another way about him. Slow to act on his anger. When you get angry, how quick do you? But he says he's slow to anger. Or slow to react to the anger that is there. Slow to do that. And he says, slow to anger, abounding in love. What does he tell us in 1 Corinthians 13? Love will cover what? A multitude of sin. Love will. He loves us. And he goes on, he says, he will not always. Now this is the verse to underline and to understand. He will not always excuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Forever. He's not going to always excuse your sin. He's not going to always hold back his anger. There's going to come a time that God's going to release that anger. And I believe the angels witness it. And when they see it, it's what? And there's silence. Because God has come to a point, he will no longer hold back his anger or his wrath. And all the angels and all in heaven all they could do is act in surprise and go, and it's just quiet. Just quiet. Silent. It said for a half hour. It is silent. The angels, they see the actions of a God whose anger is now going to be poured out. And there is silence in heaven because they themselves are somewhat taken back. This is a good example here. <laughs> but I want you to just think of a child. Just think of a child. They're 15 years old. Never been yelled at by dad or mom. Never been spanked by dad or mom. Never really been punished. But I'm 15 years old now and I do something. And all of a sudden, dad wants to tear me up. Would that surprise you? From the time of creation, God has held back from Adam 
all the way into revelation. He's held back this anger, even ensuring that he gave one family, Noah, the right to replenish the earth, when he could have done away with who? Even Noah. He showed mercy. But he held back anger all these years, all this time. And all of a sudden, the angels are going to see this wrath of God come upon man. An action they've never seen before catches them by surprise. Move along with me real quick here, next couple of verses. John says he saw seven angels and they two. He sees these seven angels and they're standing right there at the throne. In verse 2 he says, I saw the seven angels who were before God. To them were given seven trumpets. Now take note of this here. That he says seven angels. When you're in the seals, he says four living creatures. He never called the Ones in the seal, angels, but four living creatures. When you get into book 16 of Revelation, he says also, the angels poured out the bowls. But he, he mentions angels, angels. But with the seals, he doesn't mention angels, he mentions creatures. Angels are direct messengers and servants of God. And when he uses the word angel with the trumpets and the bowls, it is of a certainty. It is coming directly from who? From God. Because the angels deliver God's message. Angels deliver God's punishment. Angels carry out the will of God. And he uses the word angels, not living creatures. He makes a distinction there. For in the first four with the seals is living creatures. But with the trumpets and bowls, he uses the word angels. The angels did not have their trumpets already. For the trumpets were yet being reserved in the power and in whose hands in a sense? God's hands. So the scripture says that God gave them their Trumpets. God gave them to them. God gave them their trumpets. And God is the one who's going to administer what's going to take place from here on out now. And what is about to happen comes directly from God. It is God... It is not God allowing it to happen. It's God doing it. Now that's a huge difference of what God allows to happen and then God does it. Big difference. Huge difference. The angels were given seven trumpets. Who were they given from God? Now I want to go back to something else too here. When we talk about God here, remember in 6, 
It was the lamb that's opening up the scroll. It is Jesus Christ who's handing out the trumpets. God. Then it says in 3 and 5, another angel. Now the seven have the trumpets, but now we come to another angel who's going to do another task. And yet the seven angels had not been given the task yet to go and do anything. But here is this eighth angel, in a sense, you could say, that now is there also. Look at what he's going to do. In verse 3, another angel who had the golden censers came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censers, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came pills of thunder, rumbling, flashes of light, lightning, and earthquake. Now, turn back over with me into chapter 6. Go to verse 10 with me. It says the prayers. The prayers are mingled with the smoke and the incense. It says, They called out in a loud voice. Remember that word, loud voice. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. How long? How long? How long? And then it says here that the prayers of the saints went up before God. God is saying to those saints, saying to us, and those who have prayed all down through the generations, your prayer here today is being answered. What does smoke do? When you have smoke, smoke always does what? Rises. The prayers are mingled with the smoke. Your prayers now are doing what? Rising. Who are they rising before? God. And the incense that it be pleasing to God. That the prayers of the righteous, they arise and they're pleasing to God. And God says, today we're going to answer those prayers. We're going to answer those prayers. How far away can you see smoke? Pretty good distance, can't you? And God is saying to those back down through the ages in a sense, your prayer is being answered. You may have prayed that while it was far, far, far away. But today you can see it. Your prayers being answered. How long? 
And God says, it's answered today. Today. He uses a little word here. Pale. A pill. And he says, The saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censers, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came hell of thunder. That word hell, when you look it up in Westford Dictionary, or if you look it up in the Greek, says a loud noise. A loud noise. Could you imagine the noise that the saints were making in heaven when God says your prayers are now being answered? Could you imagine all of heaven erupting in a loud noise? Because what God is getting ready to do is to judge the wicked. And that pill, it has a deceit Distinct sound, but it's different in this here. When you look it up, you will find it's like chimes of a bell. Each bell has its own little what? Sound. And what it does, it changes. And what God is saying here with that word bell is changing. Life won't go on. As people assume, it's going to change. And as these trumpets begin, there's going to be changes that people cannot explain away, nor can man in any way say he has control of it. He can't reason it away because I'm going to do it and it's going to bring about a change on earth that man has never seen before. And he uses the words that follow to describe the noise. Thunder. Does thunder always make noise? Yes. Then he uses the word rumbling. You ever heard the thunder kind of rumble? And oftentimes when you see lightning, what happens? Noise. And then he uses the word earthquake. You ever heard a silent earthquake? And he describes that I'm going to get the attention of earth. And they're not going to be able to explain it away. They're not going to be able to reason it away of what's going to take place. They're going to see it, but no man will ever be able to rationalize it or reason it because they can't say that's nature. It's going to have to be more than nature. That caused this to happen. That caused this to happen. And he just brings man to that place that he cannot reason away that which he does. And he says, Boy, and the angel took the senses, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. So earth is going to begin to receive the direct 
wrath and punishment of God. You with me? I hope you're with me. Hope I didn't lose you. And this is not to frighten anybody. This is not to frighten you. This is to warn you. And that if you're warned, you will know what to do. And you will know how to respond. And God is saying, repent. Repent. I love you. I love you. But at some point, my anger is going to stop building up. Parents know what that is. You know, James tells a story sometimes. And James' story is that his mom would say to them when they did something wrong, I'm putting that one in the bank. Then something else happened. I'm putting that one in the bank. You know, then something, oh, that's going in the bank too. And then when something really happened, she said, your account just closed. (laughs) And God is saying to us, our sin account has just closed. Here's the judgment. Here's the punishment for sin. Let's pray. Father, We want to thank you and praise you for your word. And that your word really is a light unto our path. Your word enlightens our minds. Your word, O God, does not leave us in darkness. For you said, Lord, that this day would not come upon your people as though they are in darkness. For we are a people who walk in the light. And as we